This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Carey, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty Joe show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fatty Joe Show from the Nutmegger Forest deep in the heart of Connecticut and at Casa de Carryland. For those of you who don't know, Carrie Brown, she is the major producer of the show and also producer of incredible keto recipes, including those of the ice cream variety. So if you guys want to check out the ice cream cookbook, go to carriebrown.com. If you want to join the ice cream masterclass, that's rolling. Learn how to make some great ice creams that are sugar-free. I do recommend trying the double cherry chocolate chunk because it tastes just like Ben and Jerry's uh, Cherry Garcia. So. Today, I have on a show an old friend from a ways back. And if you know my story, I had a brief foray in the world of pro wrestling. I never really went anywhere because I ended up getting hit by a car. But I was standing outside this bar where I was working security. And I had cultivated, I guess, an interesting look in order to make people who were drinking alcohol go home willingly without wanting to get into a fight. And this guy approaches me and says, hey, I want you to come to our gym. And what do you think about MMA? And I was like, nope. What do you think about pro wrestling? I think I'm a bit too small for that. And he said, no, you're not. And got me in. And we had uh, some very interesting conversations as I was doing the pro wrestling thing. And this guy has become his life story and, and the way he is and the attitude that he puts out, he's very much been a spiritual mentor to me. Like I often look at what this guy's been through and what he's overcome, what he continues to do. And it inspires me to do better. And I want his story to come out and inspire people who are listening to this podcast to overcome whatever's coming to your life. And I want to introduce Rick Bassman to the show. Hey, man, good to see you, brother. It's been a while. Yes, sir. Where, uh, where do the rest of you go to, man? Holy cow, you look like a different person. <laughs> I think when I was working with you, I was either around 400 or a bit yeah. over. So I think it was about before 400. Really yeah. yeah you, went up, was, you went up over 600 pounds, though, I understand. Yeah. Yep. Yes, I did. And, and uh, it was a lot. What's your, what's your weight now? About 270. Yep. Yeah, 270. I, I hit 270 on the scale, and that's been um, every so often I plateau in a certain spot for weight. 
but I don't worry about that because my big measurement for what I'm doing health wise is how my pants fit. Of course. My pants have continued. My pants it's, have continued to get loose, so I'm yeah. good. It's not the number you're right. But however, on the number, if you were to continue losing weight and you lost exactly one half of your body weight, you'd weigh what I weigh. So you could be like me when you grow up, when you lose half your body weight. 135, yep. maybe, up the nose. <laughs> yep. 135 at six foot five. That would be pretty lean. That would not be good. No, no. I'm 135. <laughs> I'm 135 and 5'4 at 59 years of age. Yet, I'm, uh, I don't know if you can see, I'm in pretty decent shape, though. And uh, yep. lean. And uh, I, I did, I put up over 300 pounds on the bench last week. Not bad for an old, beat up uh, 135 pound dude. You've always been very fit since I've known you. And you definitely look like you've gained some muscle mass since the last time I saw you, which was several years ago. Yeah. And um, I've seen some of your Facebook posts and your Instagram posts, and you were definitely looking shredded, man. Like, I don't think many people would think that you were in your 60s. Like, I honestly, well, like, I I think probably people would think I'm you're not, in your 40s. Not quite. I'm 59 and I'll take it while I have it. But no, that's all right. You know, it's funny, the Instagram posts and the Facebook posts. On one hand, I feel kind of embarrassed because I'm my age and I'm like posting all those photos of me with no shirt on. So there's like got to be, I'm, I'm analyzing this. I always try to like know where I am these days and be, you know, present in the moment. And I'm like, is this ego? And part of it has to be. But you know what? Here's the other thing, man. As you know, I'm really active in the world now. Uh, probably the best way I can put it is to impart hope to people that are battling cancer or have survived cancer and just think they're going to walk around like the walking dead for the rest of their lives. So a lot of it is this, man. I know people have, a lot of people have been through this shit, man. We all have roller coaster lives, ups and downs and ups and downs. But, you know, my valleys, my many valleys have sunk pretty low. I've had two, three year near death experiences where I was quote unquote terminally ill in both. I was given you know, life sentences with specific amount of times or one time, two months to survive, another six months to survive. And those are my medical and my illness stuff. You know, I've been shot, I've been stabbed, I've been been uh, bitten by a cottonmouth snake. Um, you know, I've been, I've been homeless twice. I've been in drug rehab twice. And a lot of highs, life's been great. Don't get me wrong. It's not a, a bitch fest or a poor meat thing at all. The point is, if I went through what I went through and it's that much stuff and it was that horrific, and I'm 59 now, and I've got myself back to this point. Not that I'm Brad Pitt by any means or Arnold Schwarzenegger, but reasonably fit and okay for my age and stats. Then anybody out there, in my, I truly believe, Yogi, anybody facing any challenge, no matter how horrible it seems, no matter how dire the predicted outcome is, it can be overcome. Not saying it will be, but the potential is there to overcome anything. I truly believe that. And to give a shout out to your podcast, the Talking Tough podcast, you recently had a show of, of the cancer survivors and the people continues to fight cancer going through the battle currently. And it was, a, I listened to it on my walk to work and it was a really powerful episode and it very, in many ways, a very uplifting episode because these were a group of people that would not and could not be defeated much like yourself. And yeah. it was, what episode number was that? You know, I don't know the number. There's been a lot of episodes now, but I can tell you this, all the episodes I've done are on my website. So thanks for the setup for the plug. I appreciate that. <laughs> but if you go to uh, talking dash or hyphen tough, talking-tough.com, 
That's my website. You'll see all the past podcasts up there. The ones that are cancer-oriented are under a separate brand that we call We Win. So the one specifically you're talking about is recent. It's about a month ago now. It's called The Cancer Warriors. Usually I do one-on-ones. I just finished with a lady named Amanda Kelly, just right before you and I started, who makes my positive attitude look negative. Oh my God, this like 35-year-old woman inspired the hell out of me. And she's one of the women that was on the Cancer Warriors and I vibed with her so much I wanted to have her on individually. So you want to see seven people like that in one episode, four of them in remission from stage four slash you're going to die cancer who are now no longer have that death sentence over their heads. Three others that are in the fight for stage four right now, but keeping it real and keeping it positive. And I thought it was such a strong collective group with such amazing energy. It's called The Cancer Warriors. You can find it at www.talking-tough.com or you can find it at uh, youtube.com forward slash Rick Bassman. And I would say this, and, and you can agree, disagree, but you're my friend. And, you know, if you disagreed, I'd probably fly to Connecticut and beat your ass in the forest anyway. So anyway, I, I think it. anybody that's facing any challenges, forget cancer, no matter what it is, we'll get something out of it. I really believe that. Yeah, you've put together, even with the cancer shows that you've done and other shows that you've done, you've put together some really powerful uh, episodes of Talking Tough. And the reason why I brought it up is because it's not that I'm just trying to give you a plug. It's a show I listen to. Like, I, I've been listening to it since the beginning. And I, I can remember some episodes that really had me taken back. I can't remember the guy's name right offhand, but you'll know. But the guy that started the Forgiveness Foundation when his son was oh, shot. Wow. And, right. and, and that, that's still one of my favorite episodes. You know, I've been really fortunate with my guests. You know, you, you know me. I have a lot of access to the famous people world. And, you know, far transcending just pro wrestling. Like, for the next, uh, for instance, for the next uh, Cancer Warriors, which is two weeks from now, you know, seven people on again. This time it's like an international show. One from Africa, one from India, uh, one from London. But I've got Joel Osteen coming on to close us out with a prayer. I mean, that's, that's pretty high-level booking. And... Yeah been really lucky and really fortunate with that most people i know you know whether it's sports or music or entertainment whatever it is but when i started talking top i made a hit list of people i really wanted to have on and there's this guy named azim kamisa and that's who you were referring to a moment ago and i'd read his story years ago and i've been for lack of a better word a fan ever since and i look for people that have just been through like the most extreme of the extreme shit you possibly can and then come out the other side. And this guy, he's in San Diego. He came from Jordan as an immigrant, worked his ass off, built a nice life for himself and his family. His crowning achievement was putting his kid into uh, San Diego State University. And while his kid is there, they weren't rich. He had to deliver pizzas to make extra money. And he's delivering a pizza one night, and he was robbed and killed while delivering a pizza. And, you know, Azim Kamisa, you know, he's from the Middle East. The, the first son is in the culture is everything to them. His son is murdered in cold blood. And this guy, Azim, the father, he says he fell on the floor for about a month, barely got up, was ready to kill himself. And instead, he, and I think this is worth explaining all this, because to me, this is a metaphor for anything in life can not only be beaten, but can come out on the other side so much bigger and better than anything you're experiencing prior to it. And I think Azim Kamisa's story is a great metaphor for that. He gets off the floor. And he decides to reach out to the grandfather of the person that murdered his son. 
he learned about the kid as a 14 year old guy. He was a gang member in Los Angeles who had traveled to San Diego. He couldn't find a father, no father in the picture. He finds a grandfather. So Azim reaches out to this guy. They become buddies. If you imagine, you're not buddies with the grandfather of the guy that killed your son. They decide to form a foundation together to help youth that are turning toward violence, hopefully go the other direction. They do it together. It becomes a real thing. It's called the uh, Tariq Kamisa Foundation. Tariq is his son who was murdered. And then flash forward years later, Azim Kamisa goes to prison to meet, not he didn't, wasn't sentenced to himself. He goes to prison to visit the kid that killed his kid. They form a relationship. And then Azim starts to lobby for the murderer's release. Tony Hicks is his name. He successfully lobbies to get Tony out of prison. Tony joins him in his foundation, and now they do the work together. Dude, to me, that's about as extreme as it gets. And I've had, yeah. pardon me for a second, I've had idiots comment, oh my God, I could never do that. Someone killed my kid, I would just blow his fucking head off. Well, part of my language, that's your choice to have that mentality. It really is. And if that works for you, God bless you. Good luck. Or you have the Azim Kamisa mentality or the Yogi Parker mentality or the Rick Bassman mentality, which is you know, no matter what it is, you can turn it around. Anything. Yeah. yeah and it, this really speaks to the type of people that you've selected to have on your show outside of the, of course, wrestling and MMA personalities, which you have on your show, because that's been part of your world as well. Yep. But the, and many of them have very powerful stories because yes. you want to talk yes. about a group of people that have had their ups and downs as well. But yes. this really speaks in a lot of ways, parallels a lot of the ups and downs you have in your story. And I want to right now kind of get into your superhero origin. You being a comic book fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the reasons that I think we hit it off so well is because both of us were uh, fans of the DC world. Yes. And uh, DC versus Marvel. Yes, absolutely. So we want to get into your superhero origin story and I want to show why you are so focused on these types of stories of overcoming the most challenging obstacles. I mean, the tagline for your show is, you know, those who have made it to the top, then fallen all the way down to the bottom and then the rise back there. I'm probably butchering the paraphrase of that. Well, that's but, right. uh, no, the, the, the world, yeah. The world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And then we talk about their rise to the top because most of them are famous and people think their lives were nothing but glamour. Inevitably, every one of them had a huge crash and burn and fall to the bottom. We talk to these people about like what their responsibility was for that happening. What mistakes did they make? What have they learned? What are they still learning? And then we talk about, you know, the rebuild and the rebirth. And, you know, you mentioned I have fighters and wrestlers on and they're guys like, you know, Kurt Angle, Tito Ortiz, Sting, Jake Roberts, uh, Mark Coleman, Daniel Cormier, guys that are the very top of the food chain. And yeah, when we talk about like, you know, what was your favorite match? What, who would you like to fight that you haven't fought? Because you have to do that because we have wrestling fans and we have fighting fans and listening. And I like that kind of stuff anyway. I'll always be a fan. But I know these people and I have relationships with them. So man, I usually hit them pretty hard. It's like, you know, how'd you fuck up? What was your part in it? What'd you do? What lesson did you learn? How would you avoid it? And, you know, we get into the into the deep with them. It's not just, uh, you know, about their, their favorite move or match or that sort of thing. Yeah, and you've had some pretty powerful stories, but I don't think I've had heard as many on the show that have had the story that you have. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, starting from the time that you were a teenager, 
you have undergone some incredible plights in your life and, and overcome it to be the man living on Maui who has created the careers of some of the biggest names in entertainment and pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. So tell us, let's go kind of go back in time and, and let's talk about your teenage years and what happened back then that kind of forged this resilience in you. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, for me, that life kind of started at 13. And uh, I don't want to kill you with long-winded stories, but I'll hit some of the highlights. My childhood, I think, was very average. Grew up middle class with an intact family, mom and dad, and brother a year younger, and a dog. You know, decent house, decent schooling, good friends, the whole nine yards. And um, it kind of went topsy-turvy when I was 13. My, my mom was a like, super out there dynamic personality oh my she would have been a great guest for either one of us just like off the chain very smart pretty wild my dad super conservative boring nicest guy in the world but nothing to really say or talk couldn't be more opposite than my mom my mom and i were tethered man we were like crazy close we're reflections of each other my mom ostensibly went away well here's an idea just your example the kind of stuff she would do like she made me and my brother put on blindfolds one day took us to the Braille school for the blind, and we had to have the blindfolds on for the entire day during that experience. She took us to, I'll never forget the guy's name, Preston Hibbard, a hippie back in the early 70s who owned a hippie colony. She took us there, and we everybody walked around nude all day, ourselves included. Nothing, it's hard to say that now with all the shit going on in the world and not think something weird. There was nothing weird about it. It's just something that we did back then. Nothing funny happened. She bought us little suits, and so my mom being my mom arranged a private meeting with the mayor of Los Angeles. How she pulled that off. I do that kind of shit these days. So it's really not that hard. She did that. So that was the relationship. So we grew up in a Jewish household, not religious, but that's our heritage. And my mom being my mom thought it'd be a great experiment to enroll me in a hardcore parochial Catholic school. So she does that. I'm set to start in August. She goes away for the weekend, theoretically with her girlfriends to Palm Springs. And while she's there, as it turns out with Joe, the handyman on a, having an affair, I don't know how much it informed my later life or not. She has a massive stroke and just drops dead out of the middle of nowhere. And dude, it was shocking. It really was. I mean, that was at that time, that's my closest relationship on the planet. And we were close and I took it hard. I started that Catholic school three months later. I was still shell shocked over my mom's death, really just fried. And I walk into the school, Yogi, and the very first day I'm there, here's the first thing I notice. I'm only Jew in the school. I'm the only non-Catholic in the school. I'm also, I'm the shortest kid in the school, girls included. And the very first day, the giant kid, Michael Darwin from Peru, I'll never forget him, walks up and goes, you Jewish? And I said, yeah. And boom, right cross, just laid me out right on the spot. And no words said other than that. And that was the beginning of my seventh grade year. Dude, I swear to God, no bullshit. I fought every single day that year, sometimes twice a day. So I had a probably 150, 200 fights my first school year. No joke. But here's why my life, it's a good example. And I won't tell the rest of the story in this detail. We'd be here all year and we'd lose every listener you ever had. We don't want that to happen. But I'm telling this story because it's a microcosmic example of the rest of my life. So halfway through of the, the peaks and the valleys, halfway through the school year, you know, I start to win fights. And then rugby starts. Have you ever played rugby before? Yeah, I have. I love that sport. Fucking brutal, but I love it. Great. So 
I end up scoring more tries than anybody else in our entire school team. So I'm like the guy in rugby, even though I'm the shortest kid in school. Took a lot of beatings in the process. And then I win more fights. Then I win more fights. And then one day I make out with Debbie, the second hottest girl in school, in the quad during lunchtime in front of everybody. And then student body elections come up. And there's four offices. It's a tiny school. There's only four offices. And you can only run for two of them if you're underclassmen, as I was. So to perpetuate the Jewish stereotype, I run for student body treasurer. And the day of the elections, I know, great, right? The day of the elections, I show up, and there's a giant banner across the quad. It says, do not vote for a Jew in a Catholic school. Now, this is, you know, it's a long time ago to show my age, man, 1978, maybe. And back then, you know, I don't know if it's okay to talk like that, but it wasn't, you know, like it is now. So that banner stayed up all day long, man. No one took it down. And I saw it 10 times that day. It was way too high for me to reach, certainly. I wasn't going to take it down. And uh, anyway, we go to the final night of school, final day of school. So here's what happened on the final day of school. I beat up Michael Darwin in the quad, that guy that punched me the very first day. I won the election. It was announced at the dance to close the year. And then I made out with Colleen, the hottest girl in school in front of the entire student body. And that was... Uh, that's kind of how my life's been, man. That tells the story from there to there, but then back down again, unfortunately, over and over. Yeah, it's been crazy. I, I, I had a lot of parallels in my life to that because I don't know if you knew this, but my dad's from you know, the side of the family is all Jewish. My dad's got the big Jewish fro, the, the nose, the whole bit. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I was. Neither, yeah. I, yeah. Well, my dad was a professional artist and he looks like Bob Ross from, you know, so there's that. You know, my mom's from the country in Ohio. That's where we were originally born. They bring us out to California. I got a country twang. And I'm the smallest. At that time, I was the smallest kid in my school, much like you. And my parents put me in a Catholic school. Wow. And yeah. And my classmates were family friends with Tom Metzger, the head of the West Coast KKK. Yeah, of course. So that was my life until eighth grade, until I got, I had a massive growth spurt and uh, started playing football. And a lot of the kids that bullied me in junior high uh, who joined the football team quit soon after. Okay. <laughs> now, well, that's at that. the stories, the stories are pretty similar. You know, the one thing I missed is I didn't get the growth spurt. Never, that never happened. I think the cancer I got not long after kind of killed that off for me. But here's one thing I think you missed. Did you make out with the hottest girl in school at the dance on the final night of the school year? I did not. I did not get that. So we both had our victories. That didn't happen until I was in high school. <laughs> okay. All right. So, oh, you're a late bloomer, man. That's all right. No problem. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, and then, you know, but, life's, life's been crazy ever since, up until about three years ago now. I had a pretty hard, like, 35-year run, no doubt about it. And, you know, I had stage four lung cancer and testicular cancer, and that was a three-year run. And, you know, right before that, because, you know, after my mom died, my brother and I went wild, and we got into drugs at an early age, and being little junior criminal masterminds, doing some pretty stupid stuff. And then, you know, then the cancer years, I call it now. And after that, you know, some pretty major achievements, man. You know, I was like, I was the highest level ever executive hire for the Walt Disney Company for a person without a college degree. And I didn't get a college degree because I was like so flighty and so all over the place 
And I think for years, man, I, I believed that I was going to die at any moment. So why go the conventional route? If I look back at it now, I think that's the, the rationale behind it. You know, so I went to college. I went, ended up going two years late because I'd missed so much high school due to, due to the cancer stuff. I was there for a few months before I quit to become a rock and roll promoter. I mean, and then I owned a nightclub. I had the first nightclub in Isla Vista, the college town of UC Santa Barbara, which at the time was the most densely populated city in North America. That was in the Guinness Book of Records. So it's nothing but tens of thousands of college kids now experiencing their first nightclub ever, which I owned. And um, you know, I was 21. I mean, talk about the living the epitome of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. Oh, my God. And the drugs part, yeah, you know, it's like I lived on a diet of like, you know, cocaine and alcohol and, and then later heroin because that's how smart I was. Yeah. But, uh, you know, first time I ever had heroin, Billy Idol put it into my arms. So that's my life. <laughs> it's always been like that. It's been pretty crazy, dude. Uh, you've had this roller coaster life. I mean, from a, at a young age where you're still in high school, you battled cancer. Yeah, 16 in the 19th. And they gave you prognosis saying that you what you were going to get like six months to live or something when like I had that. Cancer six, I had a six month prognosis for survival when I was diagnosed, not when I was diagnosed shortly thereafter. And uh, yeah, later in life, my last illness go around, which just ended in 2016. I had a two month prognosis, but yeah, back then six months and I was very poorly equipped to handle it. Let me put it that way, man. You know? oh, yeah. I mean, what 16-year-old, there's not many walking around that could receive that news very well. And you've, you've had this roller coaster on the way up, and you mentioned, you know, being shot, being stabbed. You've been up and down. But one constant theme that I've seen through your life story, and when you've talked about it on your podcast, when you've told me bits and pieces of it, when we were hanging out up in San Clemente, you have this resilience that I'm not going to say not a lot of people have, but you've always presented with the ability to overcome no matter how far down you got. And you've always seemed to have this powerful sense of gratitude. And you would regularly talk about people in your life. And if somebody, you were never one to backstab because you're in the entertainment industry and that's, you know, that's life in the entertainment industry. People are backstabbing each other all the time. But you always had this positive outlook since since I've known you. And now, you know, even more so, you've gotten really into spirituality. You've turned in an incredible turnaround. And you really work to lift other people up through the cancer program, through the hashtag Be Good movement, and your bully rescue. Because your pit bulls have played a huge role in your huge. climbing back up to that roller coaster. Uh, Wilson, Wilson. Wilson said hi to Yogi. Yeah, hey, Wilson. I, I was, it may have looked like I was being distracted there for a moment. I was actually writing notes on, on what you were saying. And uh, yeah, let me touch on some of that. I want to agree with a lot of what you said and respectfully disagree with some others. And the stuff I'm going to disagree with is really to my own discredit. And I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. I don't think I was born with a lot of natural gifts. You know, I certainly get the height or, you know, I, was, I wasn't in line the day they passed out height or good looks, but oh well. But I think my two greatest gifts that I naturally got were resilience, for sure. And I can't take credit for having developed it. I think that was just part of what I was born with. Some people are born naturally with a bright, sunny disposition. I mean, that's certainly not me. I didn't get that. But I got resilience. And I was born with a work ethic for whatever reason. It wasn't taught. 
wasn't learned. It just, it was there. So I'm very grateful about that, which leads me to the next. You talk about being in gratitude. This is one of the things I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on to my discredit. And it's this, man. I wasn't born with a natural affinity for being grateful, certainly. And when I was married, you probably remember my wife, Gabrielle, mm-hmm. who is remarried, but we're friendly to this day, and I love her to death. And we'll always be friends, thank God, which is great. And her husband's really cool, so I'm really happy about that. Treats her well, it's awesome. She started me on gratitude practice 20-some years ago. And I remember, you know, after I had lost my marriage and my house and my businesses and my dogs and my dad uh, and my daughter, you know, it's a big roll of stuff, a big wave of stuff, all. Not, I don't say at one time, but within a very relatively short period of time, I remember being in a motel room. And this is before I lost my dogs. I had Ramon and Marley with me. You may remember. I think you probably remember them. I met them when they were just puppies, when you just got yeah, them. Yeah, just got them. Still have them with me. I'm in this motel room after losing all the other stuff. And I take out a book for my gratitude journal and a pen, because you got, the idea is to put down 10 things you're grateful for, right? And then I'll tell you, if you're hurting right now, anybody out there, I implore you to sit down and write the 10 things you're grateful for and find it because they do exist. Now, I know that because I'm going to preach what I did not practice in a moment. If you do it, by the way, if you do it, you write it down, you're going to immediately change your, your physiology and how you feel. So that's something anybody can do right now to start to turn themselves around. Yogi, I was so limited in my thinking back then. I remember this like it's yesterday. I wrote down, I am grateful for Ramon and Marley. That's all I could come up with, man. And that so there are nine blank spaces on a 10 pay on a list of 10 that shows how limited my thinking was and how much i did not understand that gratitude can be accessed all around us so that's not been a natural thing for me right now i could write a hundred things down like in a minute thankfully it shifted for me and i absolutely i believe i live in it now it's a progression i think three years from now i'll look back and go three years ago i was just getting started so i'm not saying that i'm by any means there But I can tell you, I I believe I live in a state of gratitude now. And I think it's only because, dude, I practiced and practiced and practiced that I came to the realization that we can live this way. And anybody out there right now who believes that you can't, I'm here to tell you that you can. It's all about getting started and staying the course, man. You, You can turn it around for sure. You also mentioned that in the entertainment industry that I'm not a backstabber per se. I like to think now that I treat people well and have treated people well in what, for the most part, is a pretty nasty business. But you know, I've, I've had my moments, absolutely. I don't do it anymore. I mean, it'd be really hard to find an example of me like capping on somebody now. But you know, I had my times where I threw John Cena under the bus or whoever it might be, you know? And uh, yeah, it's just, again, it's just another practice and another discipline. Because as, as an old adage says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And when you stop doing that, and that leaves your life, it's no longer part of you, you actually start to feel better, believe it or not. So I, practice I, what's good for you. I remember doing the reality show pilot up that up in uh, L.A. that you'd call it before. Yeah. yeah. And the I, porn, I, porn studio. I did not know that. Yogi, that I did. You tell people now that you were videotaped in a porn studio, Yogi. Oh my gosh, I had no idea about that. But I remember being in line with some guys that were trying out for the show, and they were talking a ton of trash 
about other people from the WWE and things like that. And I remember you got word of it and you came over and you're like, that is not going to happen here. You guys go home. Mm. And they straightened out. I don't think they actually did end up going home, but they apologized profusely and realized where they screwed up. But I remember you not allowing that type of thing to take place on the areas that you worked, whether it was at UPW. And I think a lot of it, too, is you described your early life about your mom introducing you to all these different types of people and what they were going through. You seem to have a lot of empathy and the ability to walk in other people's shoes or at least attempt to perceive what's going on in the person's life. And I met you was around Gabriella and stuff, and you didn't seem to allow any of that stuff to happen around you. And it was one of the things that I really admire. Tell me, how does the gratitude and how does the ability to treat people decently, how has that benefited your health? Makes a huge, huge difference, man. It's like, you know, back in, and I'll answer that specifically in a moment, back in the day when I owned UPW and was in the pro wrestling business, you know, I probably didn't do that, have that practice very consciously in those days. But I think by the types of actions you were talking about, like, I don't remember that specific incident of what happened at the pilot. I absolutely believe it because I realize now I've forgotten more incidents than I remember. I have people tell me stories all the time. I'm like, I don't remember that, but I believe it. But I do remember this. My thought process behind being that way was, was this. And this is a tiny example of the larger subject we're talking about. I remember thinking this way. The pro wrestling business is hard enough as it is, given its very nature. It's stressful enough as it is. It's so based on conflict. Why make it any harder on people than it has to be? Maybe we could go the other direction. And my goal when I formed the company, maybe it was a a bit steeped in fantasy or or Pollyannish or whatever you'd call it. But it's like, I want this to be a family. And I want it to be an extended family. And I was very careful about, like, I kick some guys out, man, I won't name them, who could have been big stars but they were like upsetting the apple cart and, you know, poisoning the broth or whatever the outage is. And I just didn't want it around. You could go backstage at a lot of wrestling companies and it's exactly what you described the guys were doing standing around when, when you saw that. And, uh, dude, life's just not worth it. You know, on a larger macro scale, it's, it's not worth being like that. And, um, I think I recognized that pretty early, but, I don't think I recognize how it would have contributed, been a positive contributor to my health and, and whatnot. I can tell you that these days, I am absolutely beginning to understand that and see the benefit and the value in it. Uh, again, I'm not saying I'm you know there by any means. It's a process. And I think I'll get better and better at it now because I'm disciplined. And by discipline, I mean this. It's like, dude, when I go out in the dark, like, I, I want to go down to Mako Town after we talk. I haven't seen another human being all day. So I want to go out and see a human being. So I'll go to Mako Town, little town where I live here on Maui, and I'll get a coffee or something. And I always do this when I go out. Because, you know, you see people honk and people yell and people get mean. And, dude, that shit is all a choice. It really is. Like, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can choose to do, like, what I'm going to do today. And it's this. The very first five people I encounter no matter what they're doing, what they're saying, how they're acting, dude, I'm going to be ultra nice to those five people. And I'm not going to be like all fakey and I'm going to do it in as genuine a manner as as I'm able to do it. And I know what'll happen. After I do that with the first person, it's going to be easier to deal with the second, then the third, then the fourth, then the fifth. And you're like, wow, 
dude, I felt pretty good. And that sounds like a really like simplistic formula, but in my belief, at least, or in my limited experience, I believe if you conduct yourself that way in life, if you talk with people enthusiastically and it's real and it's genuine and you have interest in them and your interest is real, good. You can't help but win no matter what SHIT is going on in your life. And if you, if you do believe that and you do practice that, you'll also find that it starts to clear that SHIT up also. Yeah. And it definitely alleviates. I, I've heard you talk specifically on the survivors episode that you just did. You and many of the guests, you, you know, talked about fear driving cancer. And fear is a state of chronic stress. And we in the keto world, one of the things that a lot of us deal with in managing is those states of chronic stress. And there is a physiological response that raises insulin, raises blood glucose, and keeps inflammation high in the body. And This is also along those same lines. If you're walking around angry with the people you deal with or you allow people to have that kind of control over you that you're going to get angry over what somebody else is doing, you're going to keep yourself outside of a parasympathetic state in a high-stress state with high inflammation in your body, uh, anxiety, and things like that that are we're not just talking metaphysical. They have clinically proven that this state of being can cause disease-like symptoms in your body. Well, yo, yo, you think about the word you just said, disease. Break that down into two parts. Dis-ease, right? Think about it in those terms, man. Absolutely. I mean, like when I have cancer, you know, stage four cancer, four, stage four testicular cancer, that does not, and lung, that does not happen to a 16-year-old boy. It did not run in my family. There was no history. We lived in a very clean environment. It wasn't polluted. So where did it come from, man? I gave it to myself. I know that now. It took me a while to realize that. But through a pretty damn near constant, hardcore state of dis-ease, I believe I created cancer for myself. I don't say that now to indict myself or make myself feel bad about what I created. But it's more as a realization about how powerful we are. And, you know, it's like, I think there's so many ways to deal with it. And I do this a lot. I I tend to oversimplify and I do it for like a very specific reason. There's many ways that people can overcome. You know that and I know that because we live our lives with that influence as part of our being every day now. If you're in the state of overwhelm and there's a lot going on in your life and you don't have resources, like you don't have money to go buy elaborate programs or you don't have a big support system around you that's going to hold your hand through stuff. A lot of people have that stuff. If you have nothing, what I try to focus on, because if you have nothing, it's very hard to get started, first of all. I try to focus on very, very simple suggestions or preaching, if you will, uh, or some people would call it that, about what you can do to like to start like right now. And, you know, like the girl I had on today, Amanda Kelly, uh, she has a platform called This Art Called Life. I highly suggest looking at it. It's amazing. You know, she talked about three things that she does every single day. And I wrote them down. Because it was so simple. You drink a glass of lemon water to start your day. You make sure you stop and you breathe in and out. And you visualize one goal that would think that would occur if your life were better. That's something everybody could do right this second, providing you have a lemon. Other than that, you don't need any other resources. And, and I do this a lot, man. If I find my brain going in what I would consider a wrong direction, this will sound really simple and to the point it's almost stupid. I tell myself, stop, I know better than this, or stop, 
I can make a better choice right now. And dude, I do that all the time. And when I do that, I'm able to stop. Because Yogi, sitting there right now, like let's say you and I weren't talking, you're just sitting there. You have no stimulus around you. Because I know I can be a little overstimulating. Sorry about that. But no stimulus around you. You sitting there in that spot could make yourself very happy or you can make yourself very sad or mad or angry or joyous or whatever it is. Well, why? The environment hasn't changed, right? It's all from in here. So what can we all do right now today without buying a pricey program and having to be in a class or a group? That stuff's all great if you can do it. What else can you do? I just say, stop. This doesn't serve me. Stop. I know better. Stop. I can make a better choice. And I turn stuff around just like that. It's pretty awesome. And it's pretty amazing. Just the little I know of your story, the resilience that you have, it seems to be, it has a lot to do with how you can stop yourself and find something positive. And also the fact that you are a pretty powerful community builder and you seem to be very talented in creating positive communities around you like you're working on doing with the hashtag be good movement with the pity rescue program and the we win cancer program you're building these you did it with upw with the pro wrestlers you cultivated people to create a positive community to create positive vibes i mean I i remember going out surfing with you and hanging out with you and the people that would be hanging at your house and stuff and we may not be into the same things because like there was a lot of things going on that I wasn't into, but you accepted me in a world where if you do not participate in the drinking and the drugs, you can be ostracized. Mm-hmm. And I did not participate in those things. And you accepted me for that. And you made sure that that stuff, you know, when I was around that, that was stuff wasn't being pressured on me. Yeah, no, we never do that. I mean, look, we used to have our fun and drink and most of us pop pills also. I hate to say that. But um, no, man. So why were you accepted? Here was a common denominator for everybody that would have been in any of those rooms you're talking about. And I know this is where you were going and where you were. They're all good people, man. These are all good human beings and no dirtbags allowed. Put it that way. I know that sounds really judgmental. And when I say that, I'm not saying that as defined by uh, financial category or strata or, you know, certainly not race or creed or religion. It's just good hearted people. and. That's what our crew was, man. Our core crew was always that. And that was absolutely by design, no doubt about it, yes. Because you having that around, everyone you add perpetuates and brings another, man. It's just how that works. And I want to talk about some of the things that you're doing now because you, I mean, you're on a mission of kindness through your life that currently of what's going on, what I've seen you putting out there. And so one of the things I want to bring up and I'd like you to explain to people what's what's going on with it and how, you know, and I would like you to kind of address how this benefits your health and your well-being. but let's talk about the hashtag be good movement. Well, you know, hashtag be good. is just say just, that's like a limiting word, but it's a subset of, of talking tough, which is a podcast. And it's a occasional special. I do kind of like the council warriors is for we win where we'll do a big group of people. Like one was Sting and Luke Ferrigno and Boss Rutten and Butterbean, you know, kind of a superstar group, Balibu from the American Gladiators, superstar group of like apparent tough guys. But I mean, gathering that group, I knew they're all very, very good hearted people. So I know these guys. And the idea, this was when, you know, COVID had just hit. 
And, you know, America was really at war with itself, probably toward the, the pinnacle, you know, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, red versus blue, left versus right, whatever you want to call it. And it's just getting uglier, uglier, uglier out there every day. And I thought it'd be really cool to grab a group of powerful warrior type of guys who are all pretty well known in their own little world and put them together and to just talk about what they do and what we do collectively to be better people and live better, stronger lives. It wasn't about getting on there and telling war stories and, you know, how many girls this and how many drugs that. And we did a little bit of that too, because it's expected and it's also fun. You've got to appeal to your base, as uh, politicians like to say. But mainly it was about, you know, imparting a message of like hope and strength in times that were uh, largely going the opposite direction. That's what the be good hashtag is. And, uh, you know, part of, uh, part of talking tough. And I'm going to do another one soon, I'm putting a group together now. Danny Trejo is going to be on. Daniel oh, Cormier. Yeah, he's going to be on. Daniel Cormier will be on. Kurt Angle from the wrestling world. It's going to be a good group. I actually had the privilege of meeting Kurt Angle when I was in high school, and he was on his way to the Olympics. And he was very stand-up, very nice guy. He's very quiet good. when I met him. Very. He was he still very is. quiet, yeah. hyper-focused. I remember that. But he was very um, open with offering advice. I was doing powerlifting at the time, and he was very open about offering advice. And not just on technique and things in the weight room, but also on like, hey, you know, you'll see other guys doing this. This will get you in trouble. Don't go that route, you know, and that type of thing. So he's, he seemed to be a very decent dude. And uh, a lot of the people you had on, too, like Sting. I know Sting does a lot of ministry and he's a very decent human being. And I, I've seen, yes. I've also met some of the people which I'm not going to name that you have kind of like excluded from your life in different ways. And when I got to meet them, I kind of realized why. And right. so, right. you know, just watching their behaviors. But you also, one of the big key things in your life, your health and your well being mentally and emotionally has been your dogs. And, you are a part of a Pitbull Rescue, the Pitbull Rescue Coalition. And right. this is something that's been a massive passion for you. And these dogs have been more to you than just pets. They've your family and they oh, have no. been key figures in your resilience and your move to healthier and, and back up that roller coaster. Oh god, without question. Yeah, it's ridiculous or lame as it may sound, had it not been for Ramon and Gogo, I'm certain I would have cashed my chips in a long time ago. I was like, I was at that level for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it started like, for some reason new, I always wanted pit bulls or something about it that appealed to me. Not their reputation for viciousness, which is complete bullshit, by the way. But there's something about them that I really liked. And when I had my girlfriend, Anne, after my wife, and along with a small daughter, we set out to get two pit bulls. She went out and picked them for us, and we brought them home. And, you know, I like kind of thus began the greatest love affair of my life uh, with Ramon and Marley. But then after things blew up yet again in my life, surprise, surprise, you know, at the big house, you were at the big house in San Clemente I had, right? Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, I, I do. The, I had the beautiful Mercedes and Land Rover and Harley and all, you know, all that bullshit. And, you know, everything was gone again. And that's when I found myself living in the motel I talked about earlier, where all I came up with was a grateful for Ramon and Marley. And then I ran out of money, completely out of money. And I had enough to board them at this brand new boarding facility. That should have been the first time I boarded them there. It's the only one I could afford. 
that my goal was in that weekend to find a new place to live. So I dropped him in Lake Elsinore, Wildemar, went two hours back to LA, started looking, got a call from the boarding facility. They had escaped. And I raced back out there and I spent my night sleeping in the backseat of my car and I, um, on the dirt road in the town out front of the uh, rescue, went into the local shelter the next day, Animal Friends of the Valley, to report them missing. And while I was there, the animal control officer came in and she pulled Marley's crushed body out of a trash bag for me to uh, identify. And he had been run over and killed by a car after it let out. And dude, I freaking lost it. I mean, that was probably the lowest, that may have been the lowest moment of my life right there. I really think it was. And then Ramon was missing for half a year off of that. And, you know, so kind of like fast forward, you know, we know there's so many cliches that we either find true or, or we prove to be accurate. One of them being things happen for a reason. And, you know, in my mind, that sounded silly for many, many years. And if you had told me, you know, if all, you know, six foot eight of you, 400 pounds of you told me that when when we were standing there, when that body was pulled out of that bag, if you said, hey, Rick, things happen for a reason, I would have fucking killed you. And I look back now and I say that absolutely happened for a reason. It doesn't make me happy that Marley was crushed on a road, but ultimately that led to me being in pit bull rescue. And absolutely, like in a straight line, it led me there. And all these years later, you know, I, I formed a few years ago, you mentioned the, the Bully Dog Rescue Coalition, it's called. And it's built around four women, uh, Linda Blair, the actress from The Exorcist of All Things, being one of them. Each of these four women it, have dedicated their lives and every penny they have, Linda included, to opening a big property, a big piece of land where they do pit bull rescue. And they're advocating for the breed. They're fighting breed-specific legislation at, you know, in court. They're all barely hanging on by a thread. It's a tough life to live. And Boy Dog Rescue Coalition was founded around these four ladies who I call Bully's Angels, like Charlie's Angels, and it's about helping to support them. And it's like probably like my life's great passion, I'm sure. And now I live on Maui in the wilderness, in the forest up here, in this beautiful home. And I have four pit bulls that I love to death that, you know, are part of my life every single day. Yeah, I wouldn't have four pit bulls unless that incident happened on that road all those years ago. So things can come full circle. As an off kind of like on the subject, but I, I still find it humorous that you live on an island and you have a dog named Wilson. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, that was probably a big mistake on my part, naming them that. I name my dogs after a musical artist that I like. And the intention behind Wilson was to honor the uh, Will, the three Wilson brothers from the Beach Boys, one of my favorite bands. Yeah. And then everyone thinks he's him after the volleyball in the movie. And I'm like, it's, I like that's cute. But, you know, Ramon being missing for half a year was really traumatic for me, man. Yeah. So I wouldn't name after I wouldn't name a dog after a volleyball. They got lost at sea, put it that way. But, yeah. um, but I get it. I knew you didn't name the dog after that. I just found it comical of like he's on an island and he has right. Wilson. Yes. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you're up in the middle of nowhere. So you're kind of the castaway up there you know right right so yeah. i'm loving it but i knew ramon and gogo were named after the band so i knew you were going for bands thing i just i just thought that was yeah. funny baby is a uh, bangle after the bangles she just joined yeah. us about uh about six weeks ago yeah oh nice and i want you to tell me 
how the dogs affect your health. Because this is what this podcast is all about. How do these dogs benefit your health? How does the giving that you're doing with the coalition and the work that you're doing, how does that benefit your health too? Well, you know, here's the thing about being of service, you know, or whatever you want to call it. We could be really curt about it and say being charitable or doing charity. You know, hopefully the reasons we're doing it are to truly give something, give something back, whatever you want to call it. And I absolutely, I know, I don't want to say I believe, I know those are my motivations. Nothing makes me happier than to help somebody. Here's the thing, man. They say that when we do charity, the person doing it benefits as much as the recipient. And you know what? It's true. It really is. I mean, you could boil it down to being as simple as saying you do a good deed and you receive the same good in return. Not like that you're looking for a physical reward, you know, or a monetary reward. That's not it. It's how it makes you feel. And, you know, it's just all biorhythms and, you know, it's all physiology. The more you feel good and the, the more cumulative effect it has and the better you're going to be in the short term and the long term. Oh, so, you know, I am of service now pretty much all day, every day. But I'm not doing what I have to do to make my pennies to pay the outlandish bills here on Maui, of course. And uh, it makes a tremendous difference, whether it's for, you know, in the world of pit bull rescue, whether it's in the world, world of, of cancer survivorship. You know, I get probably about 200 direct messages a day now from people connected to the cancer world. And, you know, typically they're pretty, well, none of them are typical. Everybody has their own story and their own experience. Invariably, they're pretty similar. And they're along the lines of, wow, I'd given up hope. And then I read your story and now I have hope. And I'm like, wow, that's powerful to receive something like that. I'm like, oh, wow, I did something good, you know? And that that whole feeling comes with it, you know, it raises everything good in your body and in your mind. And that's like a drug, good drug. You don't have to put anything in your mouth to get the high, you know, uh, or in your yeah. vein. And uh, again, that cumulative effect, and if you can find that in, in any way, go find it, do good, be nice, you know, really basic tenets to live by. And it has benefits in every way imaginable. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of studying on health and and nutrition for the past few years now, and they're actually hooking people up to test what the physiological changes in people for things that, of all the things that we're talking about right now, the gratitude of community, of being of service to others and generosity and things like that, they're seeing stress levels and biomarkers in the body that are are disease-causing biomarkers have a massive reduction. And I think these things, this podcast primarily focuses on nutrition, but nutrition isn't the only element for health. And we know that by studying groups around the world, people that have what we would consider horrible nutrition, but they're healthier than we are. But we see that they live in these close-knit, strong communities, that they are a service to one another, that they live, you know, grateful for the things that they have, you know, and that's part of being grateful and grateful for what you have. And you're not trying to constantly keep up with the Joneses. And in that way, create an artificial stress to drive yourself into the grave. Absolutely. These are the things that in more and more so currently live, you know, listening to your podcast that I see you express out and all of us are a work in progress. None of us are perfect. I talk about things on, on the podcast and some of the things I talk about are things that I'm trying to achieve myself Mm -hmm. and not quite there, but these are all things that I think 
especially in our modern rat race society that we lose track of. We glorify getting the two hours sleep, constantly going and getting more money so we can buy the nice car, the nice house and the nice this. But then we lose track of other things like our health of our community and how that affects our health, our health of our relationships, our gratefulness for what we have. So you, you disappeared. Yeah, I was I was worried my battery was gonna die, so I had to check it, and I it's okay. not by the way, and uh, we're fine. Everything is good now. No worries. You know, this is like I'm learning about all this podcast stuff myself. You put the podcast up on YouTube as well, so people can see the videos of it. Yep. So, and I do recommend. There's people that are, you know, you'll have one audience that likes the audio version, one audience that likes the YouTube version. So I, yes. I recommend the people who are listening to this episode to check out some of the shows, you know, or all the shows or subscribe and really kind of listen because there's so many powerful stories along the same lines of, of resilience and and mental health and mindset that are Over, on the challenges. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've had some pretty remarkable people on your show, everybody from the leader of the Hells Angels, who is going to be, I guess, on the Extreme Home Makeover, but the angel cop of Skid Row, and who is a beast of a human being himself, one of the kindest, most empathetic police officers you'll ever meet. Yeah. And I know it's funny, you you mentioned the head of the Hells Angels and the angel of Skid Row. I've done individual shows with each of them. And there are a couple of my favorite shows, actually. And both those guys were two of the guys on the first episode of Be Good. The big one was Sting and Butterbean and all that. And it was interesting seeing them side by side because you have Rusty, the head of Hells Angels, who is, you know, six, seven and 300 pounds and put together with the long blonde hair and the big beard. And he's about, he's like straight out of central casting for what you would think a Hells Angel would look like. Yet he's also mm-hmm. the boss. And then you have Dion Joseph who looks like Ahmed Johnson or, or Bobby Lashley, you know, it's like black Superman who is a cop and they are on side by side on this show. They're like in, in Hollywood squares, they were in the boxes next to each other and they're like new best friends. And you just got to love how that kind of stuff goes down, man. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I got to meet trying to remember his name, but I remember meeting him when he came to San Clemente because we used to get the hell's angels in at the uh, OC tavern quite a bit. And, uh, right. You know, despite what people would think you would get with the Hells Angels, we rarely ever had a problem with them. And there was only a couple of times where you had a prospect that was trying to make some bones and would get a little over testosterone. Yeah. They'll police that shit themselves, too, man. You don't yeah. want to, as a bouncer, to have that responsibility, that's for sure. Well, you know, all I had to do is ever, you know, go up to one of the, the head guys that I've made friends with and be like, hey, your boy. Yeah. Go yeah. handle them. And I didn't have to worry about it. So yeah, yeah, I was they at, would go um, straight now. Yeah, I was at Olympic Gardens in Las Vegas many, many years ago. One of the big uh, super strip clubs, you know, that's got like, They've got like a hundred dancers up at a given time. And that was, sounds kind of, why did I bring this up? It's just a funny story. I'm not really a strip club guy. I know it sounds like I'm trying to make myself cool by saying that. It really never was my thing. But I was at K1 in Las Vegas. And Ken Shamrock and Tank Abbott were there. And there was a lot of bad blood between them at the time. So I actually brokered a piece between them. And then we're all sitting around. And someone said, hey, let's go to Olympic Garden. So you remember like the early stars of UFC? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. all that stuff. 
So end up going, we're going to Olympic Garden with Tank Abbott, Ken Shamrock, Frank Shamrock, Mark Coleman, Mark Kerr, Boss Rutten, Alan Goas, Dan Severin, Don Fry. I mean, a hell of a crew, right? And these are like all the top heavyweights from the original era of UFC. <laughs> we go into Olympic Garden, and they've got like 20 bouncers on duty. It's a huge place. And they all look like refugees from Chippendales. These guys are all giant, jacked to the gills, a big hair, you know, all nine yards. And if something happens, they'll gang, they'll gang the problem and take care of it pretty quickly. So we're in there. And Alan Gullis, crazy Brazilian, who I love to death, and Boss Rutten, craziest of the crazies of all crazies, who I also love to death, one of my best friends now, they got liquored up and they got up on stage and started dancing with the strippers. And you could see the bouncers kind of all slowly disappear into the woodworks. And yeah, that's just not a game. That's not a group of bouncers we're going to try to take on, you know. And uh, so I go to the bathroom, and I'm in the bathroom, and it's like five of these monster bouncers converge on me, and I'm like, "Yeah, and, um, could you control your friends?" And I'm like, "That's awesome, man." Anyway, I just had to bring it up. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, stories going nowhere other than that, but it just came to mind. Well, you know, I did a lot of security work when you met me. That's what I was doing, and I remember things that I had to deal with. And I agree with you, like strip clubs are never my thing either. I saw some of the most unhealthy behaviors of a human being, especially a man mm-hmm. ever working security for a strip club. And it was a pretty miserable yeah. existence being there. And it just definitely was not my element. And you've, you know me from back then and you know that I, I'm fairly straight laced with everything that yeah. I do. So it was not my own. I made good money, but it was not a place I was happy and that I had to quit because it was not there. But I remember working the security at the clubs and things like that. And when I was baby faced and hair cut up and, you know, beard trimmed and all that, I'd go up and ask a guy, hey, man, it's time to leave. And the next thing I know, they're trying to fight with me. Right. And then when I when you met me, I had the dreadlocks and the crazy beard and stuff like that. And that's when I started going up to people going, because I didn't want to fight. And I wasn't yeah. one of those bouncers that was trying to throw my weight around and act all tough. I tried to keep everybody having a good time, be safe, because when violence happens, it's not safe for anybody. And and that's not what I wanted. And so I would go up with the um you know, the people and say, Hey, it's time to go. And with the dreadlocks and the beard, they started doing math while they were looking at me. Okay. I'll see you next weekend. Yep. But of course it was up in the San Clemente area where every guy, middle-aged dude thought he was an MMA fighter at one point. Oh God. Uh, Yeah. 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 I know. I remember. So, but one of the things that you do a lot to it is, um, you know, I've seen you from when I was, Back in the day, and you'll have your bravado out and things like that. It seems to be more in jest than anything else. But you are very much about being a healthy man in mindset, healthy with your behaviors toward others. And there's this whole thing of toxic masculinity out there while we're on, you know, on the subject of the strip clubs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people who get offended by that term often don't look at what they refer the behaviors of toxic masculinity is. But as far as your health of being a man, of being a healthy man with healthy relationships in your life, what kind of behaviors do you think a man should have to create the healthy behaviors with others around there that are not being a toxic masculine man, but being a true masculine man? Well, 
Okay. Never been asked that question before. That's a good question. I'm looking up here. So I'm trying to find an answer. One, yeah, again, I, I like to try to have simple answers because if the advice is half good at all, it's easy to, easier to follow that way. Um, first one, I would say, be nice, man. Just be nice. Be a nice person to men and to women, both. And here's the funny thing about that. Like, here's another thing. I'm going to come back full circle to the answer in just a moment. People ask how they can start to turn their lives around. I say, be of service. How can we do that? Well, one thing I give them that example, be nice to the first five people out there. Another is go online, go on Facebook. If you're inclined to do so, some people boycott it and with good reason, I understand. But if you're there, you can always find somebody who's going through a bad time because they'll, they'll tell their story. Reach out to somebody that you don't know with a really genuine note of support. And it's pretty amazing sometimes what can result from that. Nothing results, it's still been a nice thing. Now, this segues back to what you're saying. I would say, guys, I'm not talking about finding that hot chick that you've seen online and sending her a nice note because there's an ulterior motive behind that. Find the girl you wouldn't look at twice or find another guy, you know, if you're straight, that you're just trying to help. And I think if you go through life being nice to people, genuinely interested in them without trying to get anything back in return and being of service, dude, that that's to me is just a recipe to be a man. I think it's just that. I've never tried to answer that question before. So that's the best I've got off the cuff. But these are all things that I've seen you, you know, through time. I mean, you, of course, you know, you had your moments with the girls and things like that, but I've always seen you be very respectful about it. And it could be the, the females that you surrounded yourself with. Some of them could kick both of our butts. <laughs> Priscilla cracked three of my ribs in the ring at OC Dojo. I know. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yes, of course. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're right about it. Yes. So, but, you know, that's one of the things that because of talking about it, it just came to mind. And I kind of keep the interview loose and talking about what it takes to be a healthy man is, mm -hmm. you know, being a healthy person in general and being respectful, being, being respectful. It's huge. Having manners. I mean, you know, this may not be what you're talking about, but if I see a woman walking into a store, I'll hold the door open for her. Sometimes that backfires these days. <laughs> but some people don't like that. You know, yeah, just be respectful, be, be polite, but be real about it. You know, if that's not part of your fiber, then, then maybe fake it till you make it. I don't know. Better the opposite. That's for sure. But this, at the same time, you know, I've, I've had that backfire because I'm the type of person that usually holds the door open, too. But when they, they yell at me, I'm always like, well, if you were a guy, I'd still be holding the door open before you because that's manners. That's courtesy. You can't, and so, you can't talk to those people, man. <laughs> anyway. I've actually, I've, well, it may be the way I look, but I've, I've diffused quite a situation like okay. that just by, okay. by being that way. But, you know, typically, too, guys, you know, we generally can be a lot more powerful and stronger than the people around us. And when we use that strength to get our own way to, you know, that that's another sign of one insecurity within the person that's doing it mm -hmm. or two, like that creates unhealthy environment around you because it puts other people in a stressful state. When you put other people in a stressful state, that's coming right back at you. Yeah. Almost so, always, almost always. Yep. You know, me being a, the appearance that I've had most of my life, I definitely probably could look intimidating when I wanted to. Mm -hmm. But I always tried 
like I tried not to because I, I didn't want to keep that level of anxiety up because if you put somebody in that fight or flight state, something bad could happen and it can create problems. Yeah, dude, so you I, never you never came off as one of these guys to me. Never. Very much the opposite. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. You know, and it's it's something that I, I've tried to cultivate as much as possible. And I think it's because I I knew what it was like to be bullied and I didn't want to be the bully. Yeah, so, good for you. Good on you. So we probably should be starting to close out a little bit here. Um, but I, I do like to ask some questions toward the end of the show before we give out the contact uh, information. And I also want you to address the We Win Cancer group that you have there because I think it's an excellent resource for people who are going through things. And you have people that are in the group that are, are not just fighting cancer, but other things right. as right. well. And it's a great place for inspiration. So no problem. So before we go into the five questions, please tell us about the group um, and what it's all about and how people can find it. Yeah, the best place to find it now is on Facebook, but I'll tell you more about that in a moment. It's founded to be a resource and hopefully be a bright light for people who are going through cancer or their family members or their care providers, also for people that had cancer that are having a lot of trouble with the aftermath of it. And I've been part of a lot of support groups on Facebook over the years in the cancer-centric community. There are a lot of them, and they're very good resources, but you see a constant theme run through through most of them, all of them, actually, which is a lot of doom and gloom. And, and it's fine. People are experiencing doom and gloom. I get it. But the posts you know, kind of look like this. I have this kind of cancer, and here's how terrible it is, and here's how much worse it's got today, and here's how much worse it's going to be tomorrow, and then I'm going to die. And I'm not trying to like be flippant about any of this. It's all very real and very important. But if you go on there, it's not going to make you feel better. If anything, it's probably going to be the worst, the opposite. So, you know, you can't like say cancer is a happy thing. I'm not living in that kind of fantasy world. But I have seen examples of people that are facing the worst of the worst be very positive, very inspirational, very motivational. So I moderate my platform as far as, insofar as, you know, what posts go up and which don't. And the only ones that are on there are the positive, what, what's being found that's positive in their trial. And you know, it is motivating the, the hell out of people. It's giving them hope. It's like, a, it's a respite from the other, you know, more, you know, darker places. So it's like, it's like a happy place to go to try to get a little lift. If you have cancer, if you've had it and don't know if you can, you know, have a real life after that, if you have uh, depression, if you're uh, trying to lose weight, if you have ALS, whatever it is, it can can help for anything. And that's what we win is. There's a whole bunch of stuff on it on my website at talking-talk.com. Also, the community is most active on Facebook. And it's uh, facebook.com, and then like all the groups on Facebook, forward slash groups, and then it's forward slash we win now. So that's nice. where we are. It has been really cool. Yeah. I've enjoyed I've enjoyed doing it. It's been up for only two months. It's new. We're barely over a thousand active members in the community right now, but it's growing. And uh, you know, it's been a very gratifying thing to do. It's really cool. That's awesome, man. And it's really great because you know, one of the things that gets dismissed a lot in the medical industry, and this will be part of my closing questions, but is the mindset. They talk about the placebo effect. We don't know why you got better. We gave you the sugar pill, but you got better. So that's, we're just going to yep. chalk it up the placebo effect. You know? But the placebo effect is still an effect. And we should understand 
why it's an effect. And a lot of times it seems to be mindset, the power of the mind, and the ability to believe that things are going to get better, actually creating a physiological response. And it could be the stress. It could be something else. But I, I personally believe it's something that should be studied. So it take it is taken out of the realm of woo and into a world of understanding how to address illness that maybe we can do some things without medications. You know, there, there's times when medications are needed, but what can we do without medications to make the overall person better so we can remove a disease state, the disease state from the person? Mm-hmm. Yogi, I have, um, I have a thing I wrote and just put up recently that's called The Seven Components for Surviving Cancer and Thriving. And then I write a course, in my humble opinion, because I'm not an authority, of course. And so seven things. And I have the way I have it listed, there's a six-way tie for second place. And it's things like good doctoring and medicine, nutrition, being of service, community support, and a couple of other things. Number one, number one is mindset, the exact words that you just used. To me, that is the most powerful tool for overcoming anything and everything, without question. And it's it's definitely something I've seen from you in a variety of ways since I've known you. And it's whether your triumphs through business or whether your triumphs through life, you know, you've always had this resilient, this conquering in a good way mindset that like, I'm going to conquer this problem that's presented in front of me. And whether that's the disease state or a problem in personal life or business, that's how you attack things in life. And I think that's a, has, it says a lot to do with the success that you have had and your ability to bounce back from those low points. I mean, Thank you. like in Marvel Comics, you're kind of like the speedball guy with the kinetic balls that you, you know, you hit that surface and you're bouncing back up. And, yeah. You know? So. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, I'm a, I'm a little, a little more slow down these days. And, uh, you know, it comes a lot more now from a place of calm and peace than it ever has before. That's for sure. So there are evolutions within the within the trajectory, thankfully. Yeah. And I mean, you got to find that common peace with that beautiful ocean that you're around there in Maui, and being able to go out to get yeah, in the water. Man, look, too, look, so look how, look how we live here, man. It's one of my little office here, and uh, I don't know if you can see or not, but this is like this is my view from my office. And uh, wow. we're just like, we're, the ocean is off beyond the, the trees. And uh, it's, all, it's just on all four sides of the house, just surrounded by light and nature and trees and no neighbors. Pretty that's good. awesome, man. Uh, I'd say, okay. honestly, that's, that's a lot of times my happy place is being out in nature, whether it's uh, diving or, you know, back in the day before my shoulder was hurt, surfing, something I do miss. And uh, now hiking and things like that, going out backpacking, pitching a hammock up and, you know, cooking meals outside and having a great time. It's been a nice change from being locked in a truck driving for hours a day. Oh, God. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. No doubt so, about it, man. Good for you. Good for both of us. Yes. Yeah, but the truck did provide me with the the time to study and the time to have some solitude to reset and reassess things. So it was a positive. Find the so, good in everything. There's good in everything. That's it. So I want to start asking the questions, and I'm going to cultivate mm-hmm. these questions more towards you. And yeah. my first question is a standard question, but I, I want you to tell me, and it's I usually used to say top five, but for most people, there's more than five. So I'm just going to say, give me 
five health heroes who inspire you to do better in your life. And it doesn't just have to be nutrition, but it could be mindset. It could be, you know, what somebody else is going through. But I asked this question to help people with resources to do deeper dives and look into more things. Okay. Uh, one guy we talked about earlier, Azim Kamisa from uh, the Tariq Kamisa Foundation about forgiveness. Talk about resilience. Emmanuel Jal, J-A-L, uh, another guest of mine and now a friend, a child soldier from the Sudan who watched his mother and sister raped to death before his eyes, was turned into a child soldier addicted to cot. It's their drug of choice in that part of Africa turned into a little killing machine. All these years later, he is running a crazy, crazy influential peace movement. Emmanuel Jal, J-A-L, blows your mind every time. Isaac Wright Jr., uh, another new friend of mine, is running for mayor of New York City right now. There is an ABC series out about him right now called For Life. He was uh, falsely imprisoned for life. He's the first guy in America to study for and pass the bar while in federal prison. He got himself a retrial. He ran the trial. He got himself exonerated. And now he's running for mayor of New York City. Just such a great example of what human beings can do. Two others, man. You mentioned Kurt Angle before. Kurt's a great example. You know, started as a clean living all-American boy, won the Olympic medal with a broken neck, then took about as deep a dive into descent as you possibly can. And then, uh, you know, came back out the other side stronger and better than ever. Oh, lady named Shani Wilson in Los Angeles, recent stage four survivor, who, like Amanda Kelly, who I had on today, just like a shining bright light, who has created a community around her that shows that, you know, anybody can beat cancer and live a better life after than they had it before. Those are five right there. Awesome. And definitely an excellent five, too, especially for mindset that could really be inspirations for a lot of people. What are three practices that you put in your daily life for your physical health? For my physical health? Oh, yeah. okay. I have a, my fitness routine is what I call thousands. So this is, I'm going to give you only one, but a bunch of things fit into it. Thousands for me is I do whatever I have to do to get to a thousand reps by the end of the day. And I do a combination of push-ups on the ground with my little push-up bars, you know, the handles uh, mm -hmm. with bands, with my egg weights for boxing. These things are amazing. These four-pound oh, weights yeah. you do tons of reps with. With my gorilla bow, where you have the tension band strung between a bow and you can do uprights, you can do curls. I do step-ups on these high shelves over here. So whatever it takes to get to a thousand reps during the day, that's what I do. That's my, uh, nice. that's the main part of my fitness routine. I now play a sport called pickleball. It's like paddle tennis, abbreviated tennis. That's about it. But, you know, I got good musculature and most of my abs in and I'm 59. So something's working. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people that listen to the show, they're on their fitness journey is primarily the people who follow me. They're, they're trying to lose weight. They're trying to get they're so physically fit. They're doing something like that. And I even have some bodybuilders who follow because of the nutrition stuff that we do. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're incorporating that low carb thing to get cut, you know, or, yep. or things like that. So they're looking for recipes. So mm -hmm. I'd like to have that. And that's something I haven't really asked anybody other than Dr. Ted Naiman, who's the yep. big proponent of uh, body weight exercises. He does the PE. Diet, yep. So it's yep. great. I think right. So one of my seven components is move, M-O-B-E, exclamation point, do something. 
Go find your go, nice. go to your stairs and walk up and down them ten times right now. Get on the floor and do eight push-ups. That's all you can do. Start somewhere and just do it. I like doing a yeah. bunch of different things every day. You'll never find me in a gym probably ever again, and certainly not doing body parts. That's just not my thing. I like to do everything every day. You know, people think you have to go to a gym to get fit, but you know, the easiest entry into the fitness world is just get on the floor and do something. Yep. Do some squats. Do some whatever. Do a yoga off of YouTube. Yeah, DDPY yoga. Love it. Absolutely. I think I might have to try and get him on the show because I remember when he first started that yoga program, I think he called it Yoga for Men or something like that. It was called uh, YRG, Yoga for Regular Guys, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and Men's Health Month is coming up in June, so I might have to try to reach out. But uh, I don't know if he ever does podcasts or anything, but I, I'd love to talk to him because so many he guys. Doesn't, he doesn't like, anymore, unfortunately. Uh, I could, I'd be glad to connect you with him. He's a good friend. The thing is, yeah. he's been having legitimate medical problems with his voice now for about three years. Oh. And he loses it a lot often. So he doesn't do radio shows or interviews or podcasts anymore because he's been mm. told he has to conserve his voice. So. Sorry gotcha. to be the deliverer of bad news, but it just is what it is. You know, you know he's got to do what takes care of him, but I'll have to maybe write a blog post about him because there's still a lot of guys that look at yoga like a girly type thing. And oh, really yeah, is. yeah. He's, uh, his system is good to dispel that notion for sure. Yeah. And so what are three things that you think for positive health that you think people should avoid in their life? Cocaine, heroin, and oxycodone. <laughs> right. uh, Those are three good things to avoid. Give me a, a crack cocaine. There's a fourth one for you. Yeah. Give me an example of the direction you're looking for here. You know what? That's fine too. The, you know, a lot of people have issues with addiction, and you know whether it's the drug or whether it's food. We have a lot of people that deal with food addictions. They eat their emotions, and that's why yep. they become overweight. I was there. Or they may not become overweight, but they damage themselves metabolically to the point where they're type 2 diabetic or something Too like much that. sugar? Cut your sugar out mm -hmm. for sure. That's an easy answer, but that's a huge yeah. one. I also quit, yeah. dairy about, uh, I quit dairy about six months ago. And, uh, yeah. If for some people, dairy is, is pretty rough. I am fortunate enough to be in an area where I have access to raw, real healthy dairy. But even right. then, it's, it's usually a treat. You know, yep. it's something extra. And what I tell people, if you're trying to get smaller, the last thing you want to take is growth hormone. And dairy is essentially a growth hormone for baby cows. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. You know, and particularly one of my favorite dairies is, is fermented for the gut biome and things like that. But even then, you can still react negatively. Yep. You know, but the processed dairy is, is horrible. Like mm. that word is overturned, but the corporate dairy that's being put mass marketed out to people is the way they process it with the homogenization and the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. denaturing of the proteins and the hormones and everything. It's just horrible. So if there is a health or a myth that you could dispel overnight, what would that be? Well, you said one already. You need to go to the gym to be in shape. That's a myth for sure. Another is that you, you have people out there that want to lose weight that all you have to do is more cardio. We talked about it. I think, I think we touched on it earlier. It's all diet, man. It's all diet. Yeah. Uh, good, clean, clean living, clean eating diet. Those are a couple yeah. of examples. 
I'm sorry I don't have better answers than that, but that's what comes to mind. No, those are great answers. Sometimes the simple is the better. Sometimes that's the more poignant thing. So, you know, it's something that you think about, and these are generally designed to be kind of shorter answer type things to close out the segment. So it's fine. Okay. Okay. What is, and this could be something about cancer or, or something like that, but if you could change in the medical industry overnight, what would that be? It's something that's in the process of change already right now, but I think an abrupt stop should be put to the readiness of doctors to prescribe narcotic pain medicine unless it's absolutely needed. It just starts too many people, way too many people down the wrong road. That's what yeah. I'm going to say. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I have uh, some family members right now that, you know, they don't even realize they have a problem with it, but we've seen it change in their personality. We've seen it change in their physical presence that they had, their ability to do things, you know, their desire to do things. And it's, it seems to be attributed a lot with those pain meds and those, I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch those, you know, like infomercials about, you know, like marijuana being a gateway drug or something to harder stuff. But you look at the pain meds, they're not only a gateway drug, but they are the harder stuff. And you're starting them off with that because chemically identical to heroin, you know? So this has been awesome, man. I want people to be able to find where you're at, what you're doing. So can you give us the contact details and maybe even like some upcoming things that are going on that people are going to want to follow you and, check out as you're doing well sure as far as points of contact first of all instagram just my name rick r-i-c-k underscore not a dash but underscore rick underscore bassman b-a-s-s-m-a-n on youtube where you can see all of our talking tough interviews and some other content as well it's youtube.com slash rick bassman again r-i-c-k b-a-s-s-m-a-n my website is talking dash tough Com. All the podcast stuff, the bully rescue stuff, and the We Win Cancer stuff are all aggregated under that one site, talking-tough.com. And then lastly, our Facebook community for We Win. And again, it's a long URL, but it's facebook.com forward slash groups. Any Facebook group, it starts that way, facebook.com forward slash groups, then slash We Win Now. And as far as like, I, there's no like real quote unquote events coming up because who knows events these days hopefully change, but mm. there's always new podcasts at Talking Tough and there's always content to engage with every day on the uh, We Win Facebook group. Nice. All right, everybody. This has been the Fatty Joe Show. Before we go, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our Patreons who help keep the lights on on the show, help keep us running and help keep us as a show that's not supported or controlled by advertising revenue. So uh, Mel- Melody Helgelson Zap and Dane- Dr. Dana O'Leary. And Dr. Dana O'Leary has been on the show, so you want to go check out that episode where we actually talk a lot about you know, things in the medical industry that need to change. I also want to, if you are looking to change your lifestyle, get into keto, or you need a little bit of maintenance in the keto Check out Carrie's Happy Healthy Keto program, and that can really help you with some coaching, some great meal plans and recipes and things like that. And uh, come visit us at the groups. We have the Keto Kitchen and Home with Carrie Brown. We have the Betty Joe Show 
with a Yogi Parker and you can come hang out, talk with us, interact, post your progress and uh, definitely go check out Rick's Facebook groups to the We Win Cancer, especially if you need some some support and change in mindset of what you're, you're doing and find something positive in your life. And yes, as sir. always, I want to implore everybody be kind to one another. You know, we talked about this through the entire show. What you put out in the world is definitely going to come back to you. If you want positive health, if you want to lower your stress, it starts with you. What you put out in the world is going to come back at you. So if you if you want to troll on people and you want to be negative and you want to, that's going to come back at you. But if you're going to go out there and be kind, be helpful towards one another, be of service, that is also going to come back to you and you're going to be in a much better spot, much healthier spot. Mm-hmm. All right, Indeed. Rick. Do you want to close out with any kind of advice or any words of wisdom? Oh, man, I think I'm good. I think you said it well, man. Just keep on doing what you're doing. It's great to see you, Yogi. Thanks so much for having me on, man. All right, man. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll see everybody on the next episode. See you soon, brother. Thank you. See ya. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash Show or patreon.com slash Brown. Also, check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of The Fatty Joe Show, recipe videos, and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker. And check out our CarrieBrown.com website for recipes, blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.